It's a good weekend to get together. Uh, I want to say that we're going to press into what you and I are meant to do with our lives. Now, I don't know if you've ever actually asked that question, but I'm pretty certain that most of us have have thought about it. Like, what am I supposed to do with my life, and who am I supposed to be? And and the older that you get, you wonder if you've achieved that, if you're doing that. And so as a church, we're collectively all talking about that. Now, that collectively is important. So I want to say hi to everybody at East, to say hi to the fellows at RCMU and everyone even online. You're camping, you're stoking the fire, and you're watching church at the campfire. You never thought that could be possible, but now it is. Some of you are like, really, I, I can do that? No, you're not allowed to do that if you're with me. Okay, so, so here's what I want us to do, though. We're going to dive in, and, and I opened up the first week, and I'll review a little bit with us. But I want to get into some of the nuts and the bolts of the details. So if you're interested, to tune in, and we'll talk about some of the details, one specific about what you and I are meant to do in life to achieve our purpose, to live our purpose out no matter what you do for a living, no matter what level of school you're at, what season you're at, we're going to press in, and and I think we all get to leave owning a portion of our purpose. To do so, I want to talk about this weekend, Memorial Day weekend, and, and all the memories and things that pop up got me thinking about who's invested in my life and one of them is my grandpa. Uh, my grandpa passed away several years ago. But growing up, my grandpa taught me how to fish. Now, I don't know if you know how to fish. Some of you think you do, but you don't. But some, uh, some of you, you you're, you've already quit on fishing and you never started. You're like, why would I wait on anything at all? Uh, this is uh, one of my grandpa's old fishing poles. In fact, I'd get in trouble from him if he knew the, the other piece was missing. But I don't know where it is. Um, but this is one of his fishing poles. I keep this in my office just as a, as a neat memory of something he taught me that he invested in me. I, I remember, in fact, we used to fish with minnows. Uh, if you know what minnows are, Google it. Uh, but uh, this, this was my grandpa's, and so I've kept it. Uh, I, I don't use it, but I've kept it. Uh, and this is what we would keep the minnows in. And, and here's what my grandpa, I remember him teaching me how to fish. Now, at the time, I thought this was the coolest thing, and I probably thought he was enjoying himself. Now that I'm older, I'm not sure he thoroughly enjoyed the teaching part. Because if you've ever taught anybody to fish, usually the first couple lessons aren't fun. And I remember my grandpa teaching me how to put a hook on the line and, and how to bait the hook. And, and he would take us out on his, his little, boat, little boat, and we would go to his spot. Any good fisherman has a spot. And, and my grandpa would just, we would say, okay, here's what you do, and here's how you do it. But he never would do it for me. He loved me, but he's like, no, you're going to have to touch that and do that. And, and I remember catching fish, and, and the first time I just brought it over to his face. Like, hey, you know, t- take it off. He's like, no, that's your job. I'm like, how do I wrangle this fish that's all over? And I remember him teaching me what to do and how to do it, even to the point that when we got home, the fish didn't magically 
hop onto the plate. As a kid, you thought that's how that worked. <laughs> and he taught me how to prepare the fish. And I mean, a good picture of my grandpa is without a shirt, because that's how you fished, by the way. We, we just all, we would be very manly, even though I'm like seven years old at the time. But my grandpa taught me several things. How to properly use a hammer and nails, and we built a doghouse one time. It was, well, it could withstand a tornado. It was well built. Uh, and other people have invested in my life. My dad is with us this weekend. He taught me how to preach. So if you don't like it, not my fault. But I've had people invest in me. You've had people invest in you. Someone taught you, instructed you, or, or planted a seed in such an, a way that, that you do some of the things that you do and you know things about life in the good sense because someone helped you know that. To get very direct, we have freedoms in our lives right now that you and I, listen, did not earn. We didn't fight for them. There are people before us that many, we never even met them. And they never met us. But they sacrificed and laid things out in such a way that they were willing to die to make sure that you and I and even people all over the globe could have freedoms, opportunities. And on Memorial Day weekend, what a weekend to press in what you and I are meant to do with our lives. So I want to sum it up. What others have invested in you, make this personal, has a lot to do with what you're meant to do. What others have invested in you. I want you to be thinking about that. What, what has someone passed on to you that it cost them something? It literally was something they sacrificed some time, maybe even money. They got you to school or through school or helped you buy something. Or, or maybe it was just wisdom that they passed on that's been pivotal. What others have invested in you has a lot to do, a lot to do with what you're meant to do. So I opened up the whole series talking about the overarching umbrella of what you and I are meant to do. It's very simple, profound, straight out of the Bible. We exist to love God and love people. No matter what you do with your life, whatever job you've got, whatever level of school you're in, no matter what you do, do with your day and your night, it doesn't actually matter whether or not you believe in God. That does not change the fact that you and I were born and we live and we exist and we breathe so that we're able to love God and love people. Now, here's the quandary with this. In this environment, I could ask multiple people to say, hey, tell me how you love God, and we would get a lot of different answers. I think we all would agree to that. And I would say, hey, how do you love people? We would get a lot of different answers to that. And the problem is, is that you and I have a tendency to not be fully devoted to the idea of how to really love God and love people. That's why the series can't just stand on, okay, you got to love people, go about it however you feel like you ought to do that and whatever makes you feel comfortable, you and I got to press in. How do I actually love God well and how do I love people well? How do I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do? And to help, I'm going to use Warren Buffett. Now, if you're French, it's Warren Buffet. We're in church, we're going to have fun. Here's what the really rich, smart guy said. Someone is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. <laughs> it's some of the simplest things. Like, at the time, we're like, duh, Warren. Like, come on, man. But it's profound if you'll press it. If you'll actually sit there for a second and think about it. Someone's sitting in the shade today 
because someone planted a tree a long time ago. In other words, someone planted a tree and it was not going to benefit that person. That's the frustration, by the way, of ever planting a tree. That's why some of you are tempted to go get a full-grown tree and you contemplate it, you have to plant it. But the idea of taking a seed or even a little baby tree and planting it, you understand the fact that you may not be able to fully enjoy that tree. But you're thinking not about yourself, about others. See, that's where I want to go. I want you and I to consider the fact that what we're meant to do is not to get out of life, but to give to life. What if you and I were to be consumed? You and I wake up, we live our day, whatever you do, and you were to be consumed and driven by the fact, fueled by, in other words, that today or the day that you're up, you're going to give. It's not about what you're going to get from others, but you're going to give. It's going to be about a moment where if you have the opportunity, you're going you're to offer someone some time. And that's not difficult to find those options or opportunities to give people time. There'll be moments that someone needs money from you. You may not want to, but there's that moment, the opportunity. What if you and I were to engage life, that life is not about us, and in order to do what we're meant to do and to be who we're meant to be, that we need to plant some trees in the lives of other people? What if you and I were to consider that life is more about giving than it is getting? So, Jesus was pressed on this. Jesus got confronted in multiple ways about multiple topics. But he really got confronted about a specific topic. Here's what was going on. is At the time, the Jewish people were being, well, in essence, oppressed. They really felt like they were getting oppressed. The, the government above them was oppressing them and being down on them and taxing them and, and being aggressive with them. And, and, and they didn't like the idea of how the government was operating and treating them. And you might have an opinion about our government. Don't bring it up right now. It's not the time. But perhaps you've looked at our government at different times and you've wondered about how, how the government spends money or what they've decided or haven't decided. And oftentimes, the same topic that you think about, well, it was, it was then too. When you are especially paying taxes, wondering, why do we have to pay taxes? And you may not like where your tax money goes. And Well, they were having, way back then with Jesus' time, the same conversation. They were upset with how the government spent it and what the government did to them. And so they, they figured out we're going to corner Jesus and either he's going to get in trouble or he's going to change some things for us. And so we're going to corner him with the tax question. Now some of you thought the Bible was not relevant. <laughs> Jesus talked about taxes. So those of you who just went through that season and it was painful, uh, maybe this will be encouraging or discouraging. It didn't, I don't know where you're at on it. But they're pressing Jesus, trying to get him in trouble we're trying to get out of something. And so they pitched the question, hey, uh, do we pay taxes to the government who doesn't spend it well? And frankly, they're oppressing us and we don't like them and, and we're not sure that's a good thing. We want to do something different with our money. And here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12. Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Now, if you skipped history class, you're like, why are we talking about pizza all of a sudden? <laughs> well, just, again, later on, you might want to Google the time frame and the history and what's going on, and you'll understand why we're all of a sudden talking about Caesar. He was running the government, things like that. But Jesus says, oh, you want to know about the taxes and what you're supposed to do? Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You could probably heard a, a little bit of a, a sad moan go across the crowd because <laughs> some of them wanted to trap Jesus and get him in trouble for speaking against the government. And others were like, we don't want to pay taxes anymore. I mean, can you imagine if all of a sudden the news shared with us tomorrow 
hey, taxes, they're done with. Some of you would jump for joy. Some of you would be like, now what are we going to do? There would be a mixed reaction, by the way. And so Jesus answers them straight up. Give to Caesar. What's Caesar? Caesar's. Now, now most of us would not consider this, uh, well, risky for him to say. Or, in many fact, nowadays, if I were to tell you, hey, uh, you need to pay your taxes, most of us would be like, well, I don't like it, David, or some of you won't like it, anyway, but you're still going to do it, in theory. <laughs> we, we read articles about folks who choose not to and, and get in trouble for that. But most of us would not argue about taxes in the sense of, should the government have taxes or a little bit of taxes or this or that? Uh, and so this is not all that controversial. You're like, okay, yeah, I get this. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But if you'll notice, as I, if you'll notice, Jesus didn't stop there. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. I wonder if there was a smart aleck in the crowd. Be like, hey, we didn't ask that. We no, we're just, we're just wondering about taxes. But you notice that Jesus brings up. Jesus brings something up that is powerful. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And give to God what belongs to God. Now, what I find fascinating is, is I just changed the temperature of the room. Because some of us are now going, ooh, that's offensive, David. And see, I, I want to caution you about jumping to conclusions too quickly about this statement, give to God what belongs to God. Because some of us are so offended, and, and some of you think that I'm proving to you your, your problems with the church or with pastors or Christians. But I'm, I'm just going to warn you, be, be careful be, be careful on this. We, we like give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, or, or at least we're, we're submitted to it. But give to God what belongs to God? Some of us, especially in the church world, have begun to argue that that's no longer relevant. Some of us think, well, the law changed or the law was fulfilled, so pff, we don't give to God what's God's anymore. Well, be careful. In fact, if you were to read that chapter more. See, I'm not reading to you the whole chapter. There's a whole chapter. There's a whole more. Jesus keeps talking and talking and talking. And just a few moments pass by, and Jesus says something more. Let, let me tell you what he said. This is in verse 3. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Just so you know, this is, this is quickly after the whole give to Caesar with Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And uh, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. Now stop for a moment. I just want you to think in your head, do you agree with that? Just inside, don't answer out loud. Do you believe that that's a good thing, a necessary thing, a right thing? Well, most of us would be like, well, yeah. <laughs> he goes on. The, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Someone's like, right, let me just ask you, just process this in your head. Do you think that's a good thing and right thing and that we should continue to do that? Most of us would say, yeah, I teach my kids that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, no other commandment is greater than these. This statement, this part of that, we're like, yes, David, that's so good. I like that. Don't forget, it was moments after Jesus said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and God what's God's. So you and I have to press into this idea, if we're going to do what we're meant to do, if we're going to live the way God wants us to live in such a way that honors God the most, we've got to get over what is uncomfortable. Last week, I, I showed you a quote from Rick Warren that I thought is, again, applicable here. Life is about letting God use you for his purposes, not you're using him for your own purposes. And I would contend that if the giving conversation is so offensive to some of us, perhaps you're trying to use God for your own purposes and not trying to achieve his. Now, let me give you some history. 
Because some of us are so messed up right now. <laughs> <We're>, you're, <clears throat> you're either afraid of me or mad at me or just you're trying to figure out how can I go to the bathroom right now. And so, so you're like, okay, okay, so give to God what's God's like, whoa. <laughs> and we're thinking this is all about money. Well, you might be wrong there. But Jesus said, okay, give to Caesar with Caesar's. We get that, pay taxes, all right. We've all submitted to that. But now to give to God's what's God's, we haven't all submitted to that. What does give to God mean? And in fact, this should mess with you. By Jesus saying, give to God what is God's, do you understand he said that you and I have something that is God's? So, historically, uh, some believe this meant 10%. In other words, if you were to give God what is God's, that meant every paycheck you got, you gave 10% back to the church. That's how you gave it to God. And so you would return 10%, and, and that's been even before the law. Abraham, if you ever heard of Abraham, go back to Genesis, and in the middle of Genesis, you'll learn all about a guy who gave 10% to God. And that was a normal standard, and then it got into law, and then after law. Jesus himself in Matthew told people, you should tithe. If you're ever confused, like, should I tithe? Well, Jesus said you should tithe, and you can interpret that however you want to, but I'm going to take it, uh, he said you should tithe. So 10% is part of the debate, but maybe you're like, I don't believe in 10% anymore. Maybe you believe in what other Christians were doing even after Jesus, and before Jesus, 30%. Have I offended everyone yet? If you don't know this, historically, Christians and even before Jesus, even people who loved God, followed God, would take 30% of their income and return it to God through the church so that poor people could get what they needed, and more so as an act of sacrifice and love for God. So wherever you're at, listen, wherever you're at on 10%, 30%, 1%, 2%, I don't know where you're at on the percentages. I have a question for you. Why does loving God seem so necessary while giving to God seems optional? This messes with me. Because you and I will champion, especially as a church, that we're to love God. Love God and love others. Yes, yes, yes. But my question is, why inside you and I face this battle? Why does loving God seem so necessary? Yes, but while giving to God seems optional, up for interpretation and debate before law, after law, what do I do with this? Why? I believe I know why. It might lead to the last time I ever get to see you, but I got to talk to you about this. One of the most persistent battles in life is the battle against greed. Do you want to know why anytime a pastor or church talks about money, I'm not sure it's because of a misuse or abuse of it. I think because it attacks what you and I battle daily, greed. Now, if you think I'm calling you greedy, I'm not calling you greedy. I'm telling you that one of the most persistent battles that you and I will ever face is greed. In fact, to get more at what we're talking about, to do what you're meant to do, to be who you're meant to be, you are going to have to wrestle down greed. You're going to have to go at greed and decide what are you going to do with it because every one of us is tempted to be greedy. And what greed does is it comes out of multiple areas of our life. The devil puts it in and has different ways, different philosophies to do this. Sometimes it's just out of fear. You're afraid that you're not going to have enough of such and such. And so you hoard and you bring it all together. And you're so afraid you just actually take what you should be giving. 
Some of us just want things, and so we indulge every time we want something. Anytime you want to buy something, you buy it. Some of us overbuy. Some of us want status. Some of us want safety. There's multiple reasons for greed to go at you, but I have yet to meet a person. I have yet to meet a person who has never dealt with greed. And I would tell you, greed is a monster in all of our lives. If you're going to do what you're meant to do and be who you're meant to be, you've got to figure out what you're going to do when greed comes knocking. Jesus even gave us a warning. Luke chapter 12. Beware. If you don't know, there's an exclamation point. That's a heightened level of intensity to be dry about it. <laughs> Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. And I love this part. See, every kind. Someone's like, there's more than one kind. See, there is, because some of us think that this is only a money talk. Perhaps you think it's only a money talk because maybe that's your area that you're wrestling with. But sometimes it's the greed of having everyone affirm how good you are. And everyone has to affirm how good you are. Sometimes it's the greed of success, of relationships. Greed can go all over the place. And I love how <clears throat> Jesus says this. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So to do what you're meant to do and to be who you're meant to be, to wrestle this, to get to this, some of you have already successfully moved forward and you're like, all right, so I've got to involve God. And so you're going to try to pray. Say, God, please remove greed from me. And this might seem like I've lost my mind. I'm going to tell you, don't try to pray greed away. Now, this is being recorded. And I'm even going to point to it. Don't try to pray greed away. Uh, let, me, let me help you understand why I'm saying this. Trying to pray greed away is like eating as many rolls at Texas Roadhouse as you can and then saying, God, don't let this affect my body. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Texas Roadhouse. But I'm going to say one word, butter. <laughs> For those of you who have been, you know what I'm talking about. It takes those rolls to a whole nother level. I just want to sit and think about it for a moment. Mm. Trying to pray greed away is like asking God, hey, I know I did this. <laughs> Would you fix it? It's like if you're a student, you show up to the test, you didn't study a bit. All right, God, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for you to reveal to me supernaturally all of the multiple choice answers. Just right now, highlight them on my paper, please. I mean, you and I would be like, come on, stupid, like study. But why do we do this in other areas of life? I mean, that doesn't make sense. Of course you know that. You know that how you eat affects things and God's not going to all of a sudden supernaturally intervene. But, but see, there's many people who all of a sudden their spouse leaves the house and they're going, I don't know what happened. God, fix it. And he's like, I'm not going to force what you guys are unwilling to work for. Some of us are so desperate for God to intervene and, frankly, do what we hate that the government does. I would tell you, don't try to pray greed away. you got to get more involved than that. Now, let me walk you into my house and teach you something that I've learned and something I'm trying to pass on to the kids. 
See, we've got three kids. I've told you that. And, and our youngest is, uh, he's three. Which means he is full of sermon illustrations. Full of them. <laughs> well, right now, my three-year-old loves superheroes. I mean, he's transitioned. He's gone from Toy Story to Minions to now we're on superheroes. Now life is all about that. In fact, he loves the Hulk. He tries to be the Hulk. He loves Spider-Man, but his favorite is Superman. And in fact, nowadays he's got PJs that are Superman PJs. And he's got, they don't have Barbies. He doesn't have Barbies. He's got Superman. And, and if you want to know, like, well, is this normal? Did I just have, did I dress him up for the sake of a sermon illustration? No, I did not do that. Thought about it, but I didn't. <clears throat> this this is normal attire at home. In fact, he's got a backpack now with a cape on it. He thinks it's the greatest thing ever. It's the cutest thing. So if you'll let me take my family and, and help all of us understand something very profound, I think. So if you don't know anything about Superman, Superman is really powerful. Almost you would say all-powerful. Superman can fly. He can shoot lasers out of his eyes. He's super strong. He's, he's nearly indestructible. You know, he's, he's fast. He's strong. And so what we know about Superman, if you don't know about comic book heroes and all that kind of stuff, he's, he's like on the top. He's the, he's the dude. And in fact, it seems like how can, you ever, how can you ever knock Superman down? How can you ever defeat Superman? Well, if you know the storyline, you know that there's one thing that has a tendency to uh, suck the energy out of him, to hurt him, to actually bring him to his knees, called kryptonite. And so I'm trying to teach my kids some lessons and use where they're at and all that kind of stuff. Well, I want to say something regarding Superman and greed. Giving is the kryptonite to greed. If you want to defeat greed, because I'm going to tell you something about greed. Some of us listening, we, we're not achieving what we're meant to do. We are so unsatisfied with life. We wish it would just go differently. We wish we had more, or we wish that person would do something different. And we're so consumed with ourselves and our life. We're not achieving what we're meant to do and who we're meant to be. Let me tell you, perhaps you need to defeat greed. I would tell you greed is your number one adversary in life. If you're going to fulfill life like you're supposed to, you've got to beat greed, and giving is the kryptonite to greed. So, since everyone in the room ought to be at least close to being offended, uh, we are going to press into this a little bit more. Because you think, well, how, how, how does this play out? Well, it plays out well for Memorial Day weekend. You and I celebrate the sacrifice of many people who now we stand on their shoulders. We now have freedoms and opportunities that we don't deserve because they thought about us and they sacrificed. What if this is relevant to our own lives, how we're supposed to fulfill our own purpose? What if sacrifice is a daily moment that you and I are supposed to agree to and to live out? What if you and I wake up and we decide today, I'm not going to be all about getting, it's all about giving, I'm going to sacrifice. Our heroes in life that sacrifice, what if, listen, what if you're the hero that someone else needs? But you got to be greed. you got to beat it, defeat it, break its back. If you're not sure what sacrifice looks like, I, I've got the definition. Sacrifice is to surrender or give something up for the sake of something else. I want this to sit there. I want this to literally marinate in your mind. See it again. Look at it. Sacrifice is to surrender or give something up for the sake of something else. I have so many friends right now who are deployed. In fact, they're watching this message. They're away from family. Sacrificing. 
You may never know them, but they are surrendering and giving something up for us. See, I would tell you, if you want to do what you're meant to do and be who you're meant to be, you need to press this into your life in every area of your life. Students, how you engage your family, sacrifice. Parents, how you engage your kids, sacrifice. Bosses, sacrifice. Employees, sacrifice. Christians, sacrifice. What if you and I were to engage life in such a way that we were going to defeat greed because greed's going to keep us from what we're meant to do. We've got to defeat it, sacrifice, give. In fact, here's what I would tell you. The sign of a mature person is when giving comes before giving. And I would say in a transaction-oriented culture where you and I are like, yeah, I'll give you something. Now, give me what I want. The sign of a mature person is when giving comes before getting. So I want you to see a story because I think it helps us when someone actually unfolds real life story. So I want you to see a story from Matt and Cassie as they talk about unfold their process and thinking of what it looks like to actually give away without being all about getting. Take a look at this story. Shortly after we got married, I started my first full-time ministry position and uh, wasn't making hardly any money, less than her, and she was a teacher. And we're living in Southern California. And so uh, we weren't exactly killing it when it comes to our finances, but we knew that God wanted us to be generous. Being on staff at the church, that I was at, um, seeing how they spent money behind the scenes, not seeing a lot of life change, not seeing a lot of results from what the money was going to, made it very difficult to want to give back to the church. And of course, I was just out of college, early 20s, so I knew everything. And so the church clearly didn't know how to spend its money. Just felt like we needed to give but didn't necessarily trust the church that we were at. We didn't trust the way they spent money. Building campaigns or, or hearing this grand idea from the stage, um, the plan of, of what impact they hope to make. And um, so this is what they're gonna ask of the congregation. And a few times I just really never saw that that was going to happen, didn't believe or have faith, but was right to put my faith in God that he would do whatever it was he was gonna do with our small amount, put into the larger pot with everyone else's small amount, becomes this very large pot that can make a huge impact. It was tempting to not give. Um, payday would come and the money would go very quickly to all the necessary bills and uh, food we would <laughs> plan to eat at our parents' homes three times a week because that was tough. Um, but still again knew that that's what we were called to do is to be generous and give the first 10%. I think it was disappointing. Like you, I go to Bible college I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. 
and you get so passionate and excited. You want to like change the world. You want to be a part of what God is doing in the local church. And then you see that nothing's really happening. When we came to Fountain Springs, we decided right away that we loved what God was doing, not just here in Rapid City through the church, but just globally, uh, that right away we're like, we will give 10% of my salary back to the church. And so we set it up to where they automatically take away 10%. So there's 10% that I just never see. So it's never a temptation to, you know, oh, it's been a tough month, it's a tough week, let's hold back. It's always just immediately taken from us, the very first thing before I even get a paycheck. It's not comfortable and um, I mean, I, I do it because I know it's what I'm called to do and to be obedient. Um, and then hearing what comes from that um, just makes me feel like I'm a part of it, that um, I get to share in that joy in that, that person's life. When you see what God is doing behind the scenes at Fountain Springs, there's never like, well, God's not really doing anything or the church isn't being smart with their resources or finances. It's like, no, I see that, that Fountain Springs is putting its money towards changing lives here and um, doing something about uh, the community around us, but as well as reaching people globally. And there's just a legacy of what God is doing through faithfulness at the time. Maybe it didn't seem like I was doing anything, 